Hello and welcome to Centrist Dads. My name's Adam Radford. Joining me all the way from Salford is Alex Najad. Hello. And joining me all the way from Sandbach is Kieran Seymour. Bonjour. We're going for the French for the second week running, Kieran. Oh, did I get French last time? Yeah, there will be Italian somewhere. Somewhere I definitely don't have a spreadsheet of that already. Alex, what have you been? Uh, what have you been up to this week? I've been enjoying the sun. Well, trying to enjoy the sun at least. Went for a nice walk on Monday uh, and actually sat outside in the garden yesterday, which was a bit of a novelty. It was quite strange actually, but that's basically what I've been planning to do and look forward to doing hopefully over the Easter weekend. What I really want to know is, did you find a chimney? Actually, I have a funny story about that. Right, so I ordered a chimney and it came was delivered by DPD from from B and Q. And as soon as um, Katie, my other half, opened the chimney open, it was smashed into a thousand like mini pieces, basically. It basically was just rubble in a box. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, and it, and that, that was a week ago, and it's only just been collected. So hopefully, I'm going to get a refund soon. So yeah, that's and so that the search goes on. The the, the hunt continues basically for <laughs> the chimney. The struggle is real. I always wonder, like, if somebody's new to the podcast, they're like, oh, I wonder what these guys are, are about, hunting for chimneys. Kieran, what have, what have you been up to, mate? Not ordering chimneys. Right, we, we we actually looked at it last year, but we ruled it out because we realised we had a toddler and that didn't seem like a good combination, fire and toddler. Um, so chimneys off the Seymour uh, shopping list for quite a while i'm getting ready for easter and four days off and seeing some family and friends for the first time in a very long time and counting down the days so i can get a haircut what was the recess character alex that kieran reminds us of randall weems i've had a, a right back and forth with parcel force so it's part of immigration um you have to because you're in a catch-22 in spain now thanks to thanks to brexit so you need a job or proof of savings in order to get residency but in order to get a job you need residency so there's a nice little catch-22 there so it's a Mm. bit like the you need experience to get a job and you need a job to, to get experience Exactly. Uh, so I ordered some statements from the UK and they got sent to my, my parents in the UK and the Spanish authorities, because they're straight out of the 1980s, have to have every single sheet of paper stamped and signed by the bank hmm. to say this is authentic. So my parents drove to the nearest branch, got it stamped and signed. I spoke to the bank managers. Um, very, very helpful. Very, very helpful. Gave it to Parcel Force. Parcel Force took it to the International Depot in Birmingham and then it was rejected and then it came back. So then they did it again. And it yesterday it was delivered to somebody else who signed for it, opened it, was horrified, phoned the co-op bank to say, I've got somebody's statements here. She's been very, very nice. I don't know how she's spoken okay. to my mum, but she's spoken to my mum. She sounds really nice. She's whacked it in the post. So I've I organized it to be picked up from Spain, some other statements that were printed off. So my parents had to travel again to Kefili to get it stamped and signed. So my parents blew 100 quid on priority overnight postage for somebody that didn't leave the country and got delivered to somebody else in the UK. How big a privacy identity fraud issue is that? So I'm I'm in top spirits, guys. Top spirits. We've been a whale of a time. Let's go headfirst into things then. Alex, what have you what have you got to kick us off this fortnight? Yeah, so I've just been reflect I've just been reflecting mainly on the debate around patriotism and flags 
and aggressively having our flags waving and global Britain and world beating Britain, whether it exists or not. And what what exactly is it? What is bringing about, frankly, what is this, this newfound jingoism? Has it always been there? And where does it stem from? You know, you look at it and it's like the BBC's criticised for having making little comments at ministers who have too many flags in their offices or their in their studies or what have you. Like Matt Hancock has a, a great GB flag with the Queen on it in his office. Oh, it's hideous. And I think Robert... The flag has the Queen on it. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's like a clock or something. I don't know, Kevin. I don't know if you know it. I'll, I'll, I'll find it and send it over. And you look at Robert Jenrick, he was sort of teased a little bit by BBC Breakfast, mm-hmm. the, was it last week? Mm-hmm. And then you've got the, the Member of Parliament who was asking questions at a select committee saying, why doesn't BBC documents have the GB flag on every single page? What's wrong with you kind of thing? And Keir Starmer as well, he's been embracing the flag as well and having a, a bigger flag than his Tory counterparts. So where I, I, that's what I've been wondering, where does it come from? And I think you've got to always look to history for your answers sometimes. And you look at the, the Suez crisis of the mid, mid to late 50s and the fall of Anthony Eden and our misplaced standing in the world. You look at how we were perceived in the, the, the mindset of the Second World War. We were, we were on the victorious side with the Allies. We had the Empire up until the late 40s. We go into the 50s, a new decade, and we've lost our Empire. We've lost our standing in the world, potentially, because we're not this great Empire that owns half the world anymore. And for the, for the context of the the Suez Crisis. President Nasser of Egypt wanted to nationalise the, the Suez Canal. The British media, as they would do in many different situations, rally up behind the Prime Minister and say that we need to, this is a great patriotic thing to do, go in and get our, our canal back. It was obviously ourselves and the French. Mm-hmm. And Eden compared Nasser to Hitler and Mussolini, who was no better than any of them. Hugh Gateskill, the then Labour leader, uh, he backed Eden. Uh, as well, like, you know, mirroring of events elsewhere. He was backing mm. the government sensibly, doing the patriotic mm. thing. President Eisenhower of the United States did not back the UK. And what happened eventually was that we ha- the British forces were driven away from the Suez Canal and the Suez crisis ensued and saw the, f- the fall of Eden, which saw the, en- the rise of Macmillan, Harold Macmillan, and the formation of the special relationship. We had to go with America next time. Every step that they take, we have to take take that because they didn't back us in the uh, Suez crisis. And that was like a, a great folly as well for the, the UK. And you look at Falklands War, the folly of Iraq, Brexit, and now the COVID pandemic. All of these things have are sort of rooted in, I think, the, the Suez crisis, that, that loss of identity, the Falklands War, great rally to patriotism. Uh, Blair believing he had to do what was right and was vehement in his pressing ahead with with this war brexit as well what that was all about our place in the world we could go we could go it alone we didn't need the european bloc anymore to me it looks like britain's place in the world is often it's just confused it doesn't really know where it is and you know british exceptionalism is what what we could call it it thinks it knows better it thinks it is the superior actor in the world last year when the pandemic was kicking off in february 2020 Boris Johnson said we need to be sensible and be the, the standard bearer of keeping calm and carrying on. And this was just all a uh, big hysteria. So that's why I think it, 
its roots are in. That's where it lies. I was just wondering what you think of the flag patriotism at the moment. Culture war, isn't it? That's what it's about. It's uh, the Tory party capitalising on this patriotism seen as something that is favoured by conservative voters or right, more right-wing minded people and has really kind of rocketed in the last few years, partly fueled by them doing it, I think, because I feel like they think they're onto a bit of a winner in the sense that it's 2021 and you have to have an opinion on everything. Yeah. That opinion is, you know, black or white. There's no there's no centrism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's either you're a, a woke lefty socialist or you're a right wing fascist, you know. Um, you know, they're the extremes. Obviously, I'm not saying if you like the flag, you're a fascist. That's ridiculous. Tory party and the right-wing press have kind of capitalised on this as a result of Brexit, I think, which really kind of stokes the fire and acts as catalyst to all this stuff with social media as well. Some of the stuff is just ridiculous. The BBC uh, report that came out, um, which is a report of hundreds of pages, which they have to do every year because obviously they have to uh, uh, evidence what they're doing with public money and stuff. Uh, it got criticised not for the uh, you know the content or the the type of programming that they've been doing or anything like that. No, no, no. There were no f- no Union Jack flags in the whole report. What a disgrace! Is is that the stage we're at with with politics? Is that where we are? The same week when our prime minister's been found to have had an affair for four years with someone that received public money, um, thousands of pounds worth of public money and favours when he was London mayor. But no, flags. Flags are more important, apparently. There are obviously the polar ends of it, but the majority of people in the UK, time and time again, in polls will say that they feel proud to be British and they don't have negative connotations uh, with the flag. So... The government, by saying, well, we're going to, they have to be flown on all public buildings. People who think that's a, that's a terrible idea were probably not going to vote for the Conservatives anyway, you know, who will wheel out the quote, patriotism being the virtue of the vicious, which is plastered over the internet every time anything vaguely patriotic comes out, won't vote for the Tories anyway. But if the Tories can cement themselves as the patriotic party, if, you, if, you, if you're proud to be British, this is the party that you vote for. We're not ashamed of our flag. And they really go down that route. Then I think it's a very sensible strategy because not only do I think it'll be popular, but I also think then it, it keeps us off the more prescient issues of the day, such as, you know, the the money that Boris Johnson handed over and the, the opportunities to attend high-end business events for his mistress four years. Doesn't scream accountability, doesn't scream trustworthy when you've had 37 billion gone to test and trace it's far easier to keep us talking about flags you know and to and to wheel out a policy that isn't going to turn people away it's it's fair it's not really contentious it's certainly contentious on the internet because it's very polarized on the internet and people with the loudest voices will will go on there but i think in the country as a whole it's like okay like whenever i speak to my parents and when i spoke to them about it, it's like well yeah like okay fine but it's not really addressing anything. But we don't think it's a sign of fascism or anything like that. Mm. I think by going down this route as well, it, it kind of it makes it a challenge for the Labour Party because there is more of a feeling of the flag represents something negative within the Labour Party than there is within 
the general public, I would say, among, amongst the main, amongst the membership. I, I heard some uh, people on the radio. I don't know. I can't remember who they were. Obviously, um, analysts or politicians or people, <laughs> just people, of, <laughs> of, of an expert opinion enough to be on Radio 5 live. And um, she was basically, there was a, a kind of, uh, a, a conservative supporter who was t- kind of defending it and the flag and the stance of the, the conservative party. And then you had this left-wing person who was saying the, what the conservatives were doing was wrong to use the flag in the way they were, but then saying also that what Starman was doing was fake. And mm. I kind of thought, like, well, why, why is it fake? Like... It's not fake. He's doing it because he is proud to be British. And it was almost because he was left wing. It couldn't be real that he liked the British flag. And We don't do the same with the SNP, do we? We don't assume. I, don't, I know that some of them paint them as tartan Tories and all this other stuff, but vaguely centre left. We don't paint them as being fake patriots when they wheel out the flag. The narrative is not just being taken by those to the further of the right of the conservatism, thinking like the, the thugs in the UDL and so on, and people within like UKIP and the Brexit, well, Reform UK or whatever. It's being reinforced by people on the left saying, yes, the flag is a symbol of all those nasty right-wing things. And the majority of the, peop- of the public aren't buying it. So... Of those two sort of polarised voices, this, the side which says the flag is somewhat negative and, and it's disingenuous are louder within the Labour Party. And if that influences Labour's approach, then I think, as we're going to talk about sort of Hartlepool, I think it's going to damage Labour's chances in some of those seats, certainly outside of like the metropolitan bubbles, where people are proud to be British. I think it's a fairly much a, a non-issue, and I don't know who on earth the people are on either side of of, of the spectrum to claim the flag is theirs and they can say what it's about uh, just to reinforce kieran's point um it's just a useful d- distraction isn't it of having a flag debate and patriotic debate because you look at the rising poverty and inequalities within the country that have been heightened by the pandemic and the issues that need to be addressed there the crumbling infrastructure i mean we've just seen on the news tonight about potholes being a, a big issue and how mm. many potholes are needing to be fixed, which is crazy because councils are obviously fixing potholes. What they really need is new roads. We need mm. roads, new roads across the country, new infrastructure investment, and the shortage of houses and everything to do with the pandemic and the challenges there. This has just served as a useful distraction to get rally behind, rally behind those fears and those insecurities and prey on them and have a patriotic, jingoistic debate. They know that the left will have an argument with itself about Starmer's mm-hmm. got a flag and the le- the far left will have a go at Starmer and all this. And that's what they'll do. They'll just argue with themselves. And it's just an argument that they've created. The Tories are just very calculated with these, with these things. And they just know what they're doing. They are just ruthless actors in these things. I, re- I read somewhere recently about... Um, well, I've, I've read it before. and It's just read it, read it, reread it again. Um, something called Britannia Unchained. It was by mm. Dominic Raab, Priti Patel, Liz Truss, and Quasi Quartain when they were uh, Conservative MPs with backbenchers. And it said that the UK was a bloated state. And then it said that workers in the UK are the most idle workers in the Western world. That's hardly a cry for patriotism 
right there, isn't it? I mean, it's, they can't exactly write this pamphlet and then say somebody else is not patriotic because they've just called the workers in this country idle. So mm. it's always this confused messaging when you, you, you scratch really the detail between the, the Conservative government's um, policies and rhetoric of the past. Boris Johnson's been saying that people who are working from home are just having days off. <laughs> it's things like that. But then you look at it again, it's like, well, this is the economy that you have built. The service sector economy where people are working from home is the economy that they built because there's no imp- manufacturing jobs for them to go to that need to be completed in a factory or something like that. There are jobs that need to be completed from anywhere, from remote. It's just a huge distraction. And I think mm. the BBC, Channel 4, ITV, not so much the right-wing press, but the, the main broadcasters that can go out of far reaches of the country have become disconnected from the people that they all, the people of the United Kingdom. So in the by-election in Hartlepool, which we'll come on to, they'll go to Hartlepool and have like a box pop. They'll find about five people and four of them will not be voting Labour. There will be, be former Labour voters and they'll labour the point, no pun intended, on that, on that issue. And then they'll find one Labour voter and they'll just... They'll keep. They'll just be finding Hartlepool voters, and those Hartlepool voters will just be. Well, it'll just try and reinforce the opinion that um, this is what one area thinks of the country, and I think it's just that sort of like that disconnect that comes from London journalists who are obviously travelling up from London in the day, going to these places in the within the regions in the north, for example, and then coming back down to the south, and it just doesn't. It just feels like there's a huge disconnect there, really, and that's how mm. it. That resentment is then um, brought up and is stoked because people then feel that they're not being represented, their views aren't being represented on national news, it's just very London-centric. And I think that really creates a sort of like, well, we need to be insular. I saw something this week that was very, very good at describing this government, which was they're a bit like uh, the toxic boyfriend. Whatever happens, it's twisted and you're kind of forced to think that what you're doing or thinking is is wrong and somehow um, you're you're letting down the rest of the country for doing you're letting down the country for doing that so a good example is uh, covid 100 and what are we on now over 125,000 dead i think 127,000 i think uh, worst in europe i think still one of the worst in the world whatever any time that gets brought up you just get told the vaccine rollout's going amazing. How dare you criticize the NHS? How dare you criticize the nurses in this country? Basically, that's the rhetoric that, not in those words, but that's how you're made to feel is you can't criticize the death toll because you're criticizing the NHS. So I, I can't think of any other government that, that has behaved like this, and not even a conservative government. Trump. Yeah. It's from the Trump playbook, isn't it? And we- when you compare Johnson to, to Trump, it, it, he's like trump light, but I don't know if he is trump light because it is, if anything, it's, it's kind of worse because it's a bit more subtle. There are a lot of similarities, though, there, Kieran. Look at the places that the Johnson government won in, in December 2019. The fact that he had a mistress as well. For all these years, for all these years, a previous mistress, albeit, but he, the fact he gave her one hundred and twenty-five thousand pounds in public money when he was like London mayor, and he was keeping it all hush hush, and it is really from the Trump playbook, and it's shameful, really, that the our I don't like to say this, but our mainstream media, if you will, in the airwaves of television, aren't reporting on it at all. Yeah, it, there isn't enough scrutiny, really, of this of this government and what they do. I feel that they're their opinions are so accepted 
whatever they do is just so so very accepted and one thing i just wanted to touch upon it might not be connected at all but uh, i don't think i've ever mentioned this before but when david cameron and george osborne in the financial crisis of 2008-2009 said this is all labor's fault they bankrupted the country they crashed the the keys of the car whilst the petrol was still full or something like this and didn't fix the roof run, the sun was shining. So there wasn't enough scrutiny. The media fell into their art, fell into it and just fell for it. And despite what every econ- major economist said, despite what the IMF said, despite what huge areas of public opinion in terms of academia said about the financial crisis and where it came from, it was a subprime market in the United States which, which caused it. There wasn't that scrutiny there. You look at the when Cameron came to power in about twenty. This is about twenty eleven. The BBC were calling him a modernizer. Yet, what was he doing that was modernizing about Britain? He was a turbocharged Thatcherite implementing one of the most radical economic right wing economic programs uh, that, that this country's ever seen. More right wing than Thatcher, but yet their opinions have become so accepted in the media that when they say that the people that people are idle, and whenever they all the mismanagement and all the, de- the, the the deeds that they've done, it doesn't seem to shift public opinion. It doesn't seem to, the media doesn't seem to the BBC, I should say, doesn't really seem to criticise them too much. And I know it's about yeah. impartiality and everything like that, but it gets to the point where there have been times where they haven't been impartial. The the fact that they called him a modernizer, David Cameron, a modernizer, for example, and yet he's been caught up in a, a cash for honours scandal, mm. uh, well, not but a, a, a cash for a, a, scandal, a financial scandal as well with the, the Greensill company, the lobbying uh, lobbying company. And yet he said in early 2010, before the 2010 election, lobbying is the next best, biggest scandal. We need to crack down on it. And look what's happened. But that is really typical of the media in general's re- response to this government compared to, I'm going to drop the J-bomb, Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn didn't sing the national anthem and it was all over the newspapers. There was a there was a really strong feeling on the doorstep of Jeremy Corbyn is not patriotic. And when he was asked what patriotism means to him, he said, you know, it's about helping people out and ensuring that nobody's left behind and that there aren't any hungry mouths. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm behind that. That is the kind of patriotism that appeals to me. And I'm sure appeals to, to both of you guys as well, rather than yeah. this sort of more empty, superficial, I'm waving a flag because I think it will get me some votes. I might be proud of Britain, but in this particular moment, the flag is being used purely as a prop, as if like that would be enough. But anyway, so Corbyn was was plastered over the n- newspapers. Okay, political gaffe, but it pales in comparison to pretty much anything that the government has done in, in the last, just take it the last few weeks, whether it's this policing bill that could take away the the right to assembly, whether it's the the failure of the of the government to really do anything to the Met Police in response to that massive overkill response to a vigil that we spoke about before, whether it's to do with Johnson giving over one hundred twenty five thousand pounds to his to his mistress of four years, you know, whether it's thirty seven billion pounds to track and trace, there's been nothing, and yet they were very happy to print days of. Corbyn not singing the national anthem like it, it I understand that that there's going to be papers on the right and papers on the left and in this country well sorry in the UK the majority of the papers are are on the right so you're going to give a little bit more you know give a little bit more give 
to politicians on the right. I get that. That's normal. That's to be expected. But it's now a level where it's so disproportionate where you're not holding them to account. And that is one of the key roles of the, of the press is that it stops bad government decisions from repeating and it doesn't cover them up effectively by not publishing them and not holding the government to account. Because if people are relying on you for their source of information and you're not providing really important news, such as 37 billion pound of track and trace, for example, then you are sort of covering it up, really, aren't you? If none of you are doing it. Um, and it's just, I feel like the same is going to be done with this uh, with this flag debate, I think the the papers will very happily keep it about f- flags. They'll they'll wheel out any sort of left wing academics who says that the flags represent empire and shame and all this other stuff. They'll wheel them out and say this is you know what the left thinks. They hate Britain, kind of thing. And all this came out of at least in the last in the last week was the government guidelines on how flags should be flown from all public buildings. And that there's an order that you have the UK and then a national flag and then a county flag, which is what happens anyway. Like it, it pretty much. It's what happened. Like I, I worked at a at a left wing council, Trafford, used to be conservative, now now very much Labour. They flew a union flag from their town hall. Manchester Town Hall, you, you won't find many councils as left wing as that. They flew a, a St. George flag from the top of their city hall. Okay, it's not a British flag, but it's still a flag. It's like, fine, you want to mandate this for public buildings? Fine, agree, whatever, next. Let's just, like, I'm not letting you off the hook on this. Can we just press on to something that's actually going to make a difference? That's my view on it anyway. Here's a question to finish this one. Kieran's thought of the day. I thought Kieran's thought of the day. Well, it's more of a question for everyone. What one thing for you defines... Or would you not define what would you like British patriotism to mean? I thought mine already, so I'll go while you guys think. <laughs> I think for me, it's Britain using its stature in the world and its economic strength to support the rest of the world and influence the rest of the world in ways that help the rest of the planet, whether that be through international aid. <clears throat> not cutting it <clears throat> and um promoting climate change that's what it would be not that makes me feel proud it, but i'm not saying that we do that as well as we should that it is widely viewed as as a country which has reinvented itself and is outward looking and is a leader in science and is brokering peace deals offers the neutral ground to for two warring factions or two warring countries to sit around a table and make peace, that it sends peacekeepers rather than declaring bilaterally with the United States, for example, to invade somewhere or whatever, you know, that we adhere to international law and we uphold international law and we promote international law. Before Alex goes, I don't know if you know this, Adam, but the science budget's basically been slashed in half. (laughs) Has it really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, it might not be the science budget, but uh, I'll I'll, find, I'll try and find the article and send it to you. But it's it's grim. Anyway. So one, of the, one of the few things, and I think he's I think he's a loathsome individual. But Dominic Cummings said that one of his mm, um, requirements, 
so gone. all gone was it yeah. but what, yeah one of his yeah. requirements for for joining Johnson's team was that the science mm. uh, the science be budget like would be doubled, doubled. No, yeah they've, they've gone then, the opposite way since uh. when I saw the uh, the footage of him saying this I was like hell I don't I don't hate this <laughs> I hate you but can't hate that idea you're not as contemptible in this one facet of your views <laughs> as I thought you might be yeah. So I, I think patriotism actually isn't obviously too dissimilar to what you've already said. I can really reinforce what you've just said. It is, it's also what Jeremy Corbyn said as well. You know, I, I do believe that patriotism is making sure that you have a, a country which that giving that flag meaning and making sure that it has the right values, doesn't have homelessness, no one goes hungry, whether that be adult, child, no matter what, and no one is really left behind and having those. And having a strong health service which can is properly funded, and also one that can transport in those values abroad, um, not through attacking someone or attacking another country, but supporting that country such as Yemen and making that flag mean something, stand for something, not just some empty slogan, some empty soundbite that just that just floats in the wind. Um, mm. That's what I think. Nice. Love it. it. We shall move on to Hartlepool, Kieran. There is a a fight and a seat up for grabs in a by-election. There is. Uh, So Hartlepool, North East England. Nice place. Been there myself to see Hartlepool FC. Uh, So Yorks would take on them many years ago. Um, So, yeah, the by-election there because the Labour, former Labour MP, is embroiled in some uh, nasty criminal stuff um, and uh, basically pushed from the seat and probably rightly so if those allegations are true. And um, yeah, so now we've got a by-election and it's a really interesting seat because obviously it, well, I mean, it is Labour at the moment, has been, but it's one of those Brexit voting areas that Labour clung on to, uh, not clung on to, but you know, a lot less comfortable than it normally would be in the election, um, 20, uh, 2019 election. Obviously, we've had Brexit now, but we've had COVID as well. And we've got um, Starmer as the new Labour leader. So it's a really interesting uh, election in the sense of this is the first test um, of, of any by-election since uh, this government's been in place, I think. And I might be wrong there, but um, it's the first one I can think of. But it's the first one with Starmer in as well. So it's interesting, and the polls are showing that Labour are only about three points ahead, the last one I saw, I think, mm-hmm. which is crazy when you think it's, it's Harley Pool. I think that Labour will probably hold it, but it's it's interesting. It's an interesting test to... I don't feel like people know who Starmer is yet, really uh, like a lot of everyone i don't i don't think people know who he is and there's not really any policies yet that have really come out there's not really the starmer labor vision has it really hasn't been unveiled i'm intrigued and starmer's got four years that's my view on it. he's got four years let him do his thing for the first two years whether that's just sawing out the party within itself whether that's just gauging the uh, the playing field and seeing what everything's about, I'm, I'm quite happy with that. It's a four-year project. But I think if this goes tight or somehow the Conservatives end up winning, 
we will be hearing a lot, particularly from the uh, Corbynite side of the Labour Party, about whether Starmer should remain in charge. That's kind of the background to it, explains quite vaguely and poorly by myself. But hopefully my views on it were were a bit more clear. So yeah, (laughs) over to you guys. Labour's candidate, Paul Williams, is a doctor. He was MP um, for Stockton South for two years, from 2017 to 2019. Decent voting record. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Maybe there's a skeleton there somewhere, but I didn't I didn't see much. He was he was embarrassed to have a tweet from 2011 sent at quarter to midnight. What's your favourite Tory MILF? Cracking dinner conversation. And that, mm. that surface, somebody trawled through and dug that out. Made years before he was selected under Corbyn to stand and to win the seat, but apparently only now it's an issue. So a by-election is always always good for everyone and their dog to to go in. So we've got Northern Independence, Reform UK, obviously the Tories, Women's Equality Party, the North East Party, and the SDP as well. So there's a there's a lot of people there, and in terms of sort of like the centre left to left, you've got there. SDP, the Northeast, Women's Equality, Northern Independence and Labour. Reform UK standing somebody called John Prescott. No, it's not that John Prescott. <laughs> I've checked. They're likely to collapse. Now, given at the last election that Richard Tice managed to secure more than a quarter of the vote, those voters have got to go somewhere. I doubt they've backed the Conservatives because they didn't back the Conservatives that first time around. Why would they back them this time around? Do you reckon they'll go to Labour? And it'll become sort of a, not necessarily a safe seat, but safer than it was back in 2019. So Labour hemorrhaged almost 15% of the vote from 2017 to 2019. But did that vote stay at home? That's the thing. I know there's a a lot of holes within my argument, but... No, no, they're good good questions. I I don't know. I just think that the Brexit Party, if you, if you back the Brexit, if you couldn't bring yourself to vote for the Conservative Party in 2019 after everything that's gone on since, mm. can you back them again? Could could I mean could you back them this time round? What would be when you when you look locally at the at the borough council? So it's one of the most right wing councils in the country. So they have the, the well, they're independent, the, the, though, aren't they? Yeah. So well, independent unions. So these were people who were. UKIPers, Tories, and the the Veteran and People's Party. So it was in the hands of Labour, and then the leader of the Labour movement left in a huff and took councillors with him, and they defected to the Socialist Labour Party. That meant Labour no longer held the council, and it enabled the most right-wing, one of the most right-wing councils in the country to come to force. But obviously they've been voted in by people, albeit on lower turnouts than we'd expect to see. But by-elections tend to have lower turnouts anyway. So I'm not feeling particularly confident about this in terms of, yeah, based on the the increasing vote for the Tories, based on the fact that the Tories are funding big schemes just up the coast in terms of the Freeport and really going, sort of doubling down on their winning the, the Red Wall seats and locking those in approach and people in Hartlepool might think Tees Valley's not going to do too badly under the Tories so let's get some local representation so I, I, I really think there's there's a there's a decent chance they could win it and the bookies as well have them narrowly as favourites pretty much on 
evens with Labour, but slightly more favourable. That's crazy. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because it's hard to sort of like, when you think about it, it's hard to think how has this happened after over, well, it will be 11 years by then, 11 years of Tory government, a huge austerity, the pandemic, the handling of the pandemic, oh, there's a vaccine bounce. But you've got to look at it. when the governing party and when the Conservative Party have taken a seat from Labour, they've been under very, there's been strange circumstances. And is this a strange circumstance? So you've got the, the Falklands War is when they won the Mitchum, Mitchum and Morden by-election in 1982 and the Copeland by-election in February 2017. Jeremy Corbyn was a far more unpopular Labour leader than Keir Starmer in the polls. Labour were around about 16% behind the Tories in the polls as well. And they only just narrowly lost that. Well, they lost it by about 2,500 votes. But it, it would take a lot, I feel, that for them to win this by-election. I don't. I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm not saying it. Clearly, Labour have got a fight on their hands. It doesn't help that the fairly new and more multiple progressive parties standing, such as the Northern Independence Party, the North East Party, as well. Uh, and by the way, they were they are they, those candidates are all former Labour MPs as well. So there's three mm. former Labour MPs standing in this election. Yeah, Hilton Dawson used to be the MP for Lancaster. Certainly, when Ke- when Kieran was at university, that was his MP. And mm. Thelma Walker was a Labour MP up until 2019. So mm. it is a tricky fight, but I, I would just caveat there are several external facts. I suppose it's really still unclear at the moment how big that Tory lead is going to be with the vaccine bounce. Yeah, the polls have been so volatile, haven't they? Like there was one about uh, three or four weeks ago that suddenly had the Tories like eight, this nationally, like eight or nine points ahead. And then one like, a couple of weeks later and it was like a 15% swing and Labour and Tories were neck and neck. It's just insane at the moment and it's not a great time to have a by-election. And Well, maybe it is a great time to have a by-election in that sense because you don't know what the hell's going to happen. Yeah. But there, there are national elections, aren't there? Across the... Yeah, that's true in May. Yeah. True, yeah. Scotland, yeah. Wales, and then we've got English local elections. Mm. It's the closest thing we get to a general election. The closest yeah. thing we'll get to a general election this 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 set. Mm. And I I reckon almost regardless of the outcome, the the f- those further on the left within the party will say this is terrible for Keir Starmer. He if he gains seats, he should have done better. And if he loses seats, like Corbyn did, f- four no three out of the four or four out of the five. How many how many local council elections was he leader? Anyway, he only gained seats once and he lost the others but if Starmer loses seats people will be calling for his head but there'd be people who are calling for his head at the moment anyway and they're becoming a an increasingly irrelevant wing of the party do you think there's a chance that Hartlepool people who voted for Brexit who may have voted conservative last time or now but now Brexit's happened or voted for um reform UK in its reformed name do you think there's a chance that those people now go, well, Brexit's happened now, hasn't it? So if that was what was important to them, will they bother going out and voting again in a by-election and um, with COVID restrictions still going? I think it certainly takes the rug out from underneath Reform UK because mm. because as the Brexit party, they had a really clear mission. Uh, they haven't really communicated what their clear vision of of the UK I feel, is. I feel anti-lockdown. like... They're anti-lockdown. Anti-lockdown. Oh, are they? Right. 
I feel like that's kind of a theme or an issue for any party that's not in government at the moment. Mm. COVID's just completely dominated since the last general election. There's been no time or space to talk about other issues in uh, the way that you normally would. That's really difficult because you can't just do it and ignore covid because you'd obviously rightly probably so get told hang on a minute mm. we're in the middle of a pandemic here you should be focusing on this not setting out a vision for three years time so it's a very difficult time for opposition parties to not just labor any opposition party to really get airtime on stuff and that i wonder if that's a factor as well in in this this why it might be so close i don't know i'm intrigued it's it's another reminder for me that our electoral system is fundamentally broken because if we had a system where you could rank candidates for example or you had single transferable vote i wouldn't be worried i don't think i don't think the voters in general in hartlepool are right wing but obviously under first past the post you don't need to get the majority of of, of the voters to to back you and I'm worried that there's going to be small chippings away by various smaller parties. Like I, th- I really like Thelma Walker. She was a teacher for over 30 years. I liked her voting record. I think it's a bit bizarre that now she's she's backed a party that wants to declare independence and says that it doesn't recognise that they're English, that they're Northumbrian. I think it, I, I would understand her jumping ship to a socialist party or to a left wing party, but one which is at its foundation about establishing a separate country seems like a complete deviation you know where where were these separatist mutterings before when she when she was mp under corbyn it's it's really weird you know i think they'll get like 500 seats i think they'll be fairly irrelevant i think northeast party the same i think women's equality party the same they got a good candidate who said she'll stand down if Labour agree to enact some of the policies. Mm. I, I think that's a really interesting idea, um, perhaps. So I, I came to a bit of a revelation over the last week or so that I, and it, it's not something that I want to happen myself, but it's kind of how I think it is going, that basically I can't see us having a... a a government that isn't conservative unless the other parties seriously form a coalition going into a general election. And obviously it's it's Labour looking to drive this. I think, Adam, you've mentioned this before in a previous episode, but genuinely think it's the only way it's going to happen is if you, not not like in the 2019 election where it was just some seats. I'm talking about every single seat in the country is basically, you know, okay, Brighton, going to go green for their one seat fine let they they go green there the Lib Dems are looking like they're going to have a handful of seats let them go there SNP you know Labour step aside in those seats there but I mean that's a bit difficult because of independence but but whatever but basically just all come together and say look the only way we're going to do this is if we 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 go this way and and Labour makes some promises and you know top of the list is obviously proportional representation mm. i don't know a year a week's a long time in politics a year a long time in politics, three two years whenever the next election is a very long time but right now i honestly just cannot see how else it happens going back to to hartlepool because I, f- I feel like 
I know this was something that we mentioned in our first in our first recording about electoral reform and and I've written a blog post about it how about even under a PR system that even in England the the centrist and the left vote would all would almost always have more strength than the right vote would with the exception of 2015 so even if Scotland breaks away and Wales breaks away because you hear this thing about oh it's English Tories but if there's a more proportional system then then that goes away Alex so do you think those those reform UK voters are gonna gonna go to Labour? It's it's difficult, really. Um, I think it would take a lot for them to go to the Conservatives because they wouldn't they didn't go there the first time round. These elections are gonna be are gonna be challenging for Labour in Wales. I think they're gonna be challenging, uh, and across across England. And in this by election, I think specifically, I think it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be pretty. It's it's gonna be a difficult one to hold. But I'm going to say Labour are the favourites to win it. Mm. I just don't see that the, the Conservative lead in the polls is high enough for them to win the seat. We don't know how... Well, I mean, I say that. The polls have, have got them 10% ahead, but we'll see where that goes. If it helps the, the Conservative candidate, and I think they'll get yeah a few hundred votes, but Thelma Walker for the Northern Independence Party, they both live over 100 miles away from Hartlepool. That's the thing. That's the thing with the Northern Independence Party. Thelma Walker is a West is, is represented a West Yorkshire constituency and is from Calderdale in West Yorkshire. So she, you know, she's from Huddersf- the Huddersfield area. What what's her roots to Northumbria? And I think when I look at this sort of, there's already the Northeast Party, which has its roots in Northumbria, Northumbria, but isn't isn't the Northern Independence Party just some sort of cloaked online Twitter? political party that is for disaffected Corbynistas. That's what I think they are really. Are. Mm. They're covering themselves with this sort of like Northumbrianism, but their political, their leader is, and not to be sneering at this, their leader is an academic in something... Uh, he's, a, he's, a, an, he's a cultural anthropologist. Does, does being a, cult, a cultural anthropologist at the University of, uh, in the Southwest, really give you licence to be leading a party to the North, Northern Independence Party. Well, I think I think he's from County Durham. Okay, fair enough. But the tagline of his party is, it's about bloody time. How <laughs> patronising does that look? And how does patronising does that sound? That we're, all Northerners say, oh, it's about bloody time kind of thing. It's, it's, just, <laughs> it's, a, it's a load of shit. I just got images of someone in a, in a flat cap. Their party logo is, is a whippet. They're just disaffected Corbynistas who are looking for Twitter likes, talking to their same echo chamber, just using the same old excuse that Labour started becoming popular in November. Why was that? Oh, Jeremy Corbyn got kicked out of the party. I mean, it's just, it's for the birds that the Northern Independence Party are are going to nick votes off Labour. Of course they are. But, you know, beyond, beyond the Northern Independence Party's ideological purity, really. When you say that they're going to take votes from Labour, obviously they're not they're not Labour's votes. They're going to dilute the non-Tory vote. People obviously can vote for whoever the heck they want to vote. But if the main thing if the main thing for you is stopping a conservative go a conservative based in Yorkshire who's standing in this winning and going to the Commons and adding to the majority, if that's the main thing then under first past the post, you have to streamline the opposition. You have to, people need to drop out or agree not to run. And I think the Women's Equality Party approach is really pragmatic. They said, "Look, we're standing. 
if you if you stand down and agree to these policy positions, which are not objectionable at all, by the way, I think they're very sensible, then we won't stand a candidate. And I think, do you know what? Fine. As a, as a smaller party, to get some influence, I think is a really pragmatic thing to do. And if, But if you stand down, then it's not going to dilute the votes because one or two of these smaller parties, it's not going to make much of a difference. But if it comes down to the wire, as it could be, then it could make all the difference. Like we saw the combined Green and Labour vote could w- could have won a heck of a load more seats at the last couple of elections. And the Greens are you know, a minor party. But in some seats, if they were combined with Labour, that would tip them over, the, you know, tip them over to, to return an MP. And I, I feel like because there's sort of quite a few minor parties where I think they'll get a few hundred votes, but collectively that could be enough to really eat away. You add that with a lower turnout. You add that with pork barrels being pushed all down Tees Valley by the Tories and the free ports and all these other things. Uh, it really, It's really coming down to the wire, I think, in terms of whether or not Labour are going to win it. It's my take on it anyway. Obviously, I, I sincerely hope they do. I think you know they've got a they've got a strong candidate the tory milfs quote is from 2011 and if your main thing is a tweet that somebody sent at a quarter to midnight 10 years ago that didn't that nobody nobody was kicking off when he was selected under corbyn to stand and suddenly now people are kicking off about tory milfs tweet i mean get over yourselves he, he's apologized for it what what more do you want do do you want this to end his career? A single tweet? Where does that stand into politicians doing other silly things like, I don't know, appearing for press TV, for example? Like, I really think that it's a bit like the newspapers. Like, I understand people that don't like Starmer are going to give people under Starmer a bit more of a rough time. I get that. But where it gets to such a disproportionate level, you think you've lost all proportion and people are more interested in ideological tail chasing than what is pragmatic under first past the post which is the approach the the women's equality party is taking which is we won't stand if you agree to these things and they're not being unreasonable yeah no yeah, that's a good, a good point um mm. i i can't really think of much else to say do you know what it is difficult to kind of put a, a, a kind of argument together for labor in terms of policy like i don't really know what they stand for in terms of policies at the moment yeah i've not really like i say i i I think he's holding off because of covid and not being the right time but he's gonna need to do something soon he really is the labor party's got a really rigid process in terms of proposing and and approving of new policies so the the leader can't just pluck them out Mm. of thin air so he's got to go through that process and go through the members and that'll take that'll take time. But but you're right. People are going to want to know because if you want to if you want to shake yourself off from whatever brand of labor was under Corbyn then you need to clearly show that through policies. He he needs the outcome of those. And I guess it says something for labor. Labor needs to reform, embrace technology to speed up some of these processes perhaps speed up some of these votes why can't people vote online or by post you know if there if there are some really key policy decisions to be made to to help launch a new leader you know the next leader after starmer 
let's get these things right so that you can hit the ground running because otherwise the same thing's going to happen. Meanwhile, you're up against a very slick, ruthless Conservative Party machine that is very good at winning elections, has a sympathetic press that will do your PR for you. It's a no-brainer. Like Labour have to use every single tool they've got in the toolbox and to sharpen them as best they can because at the moment we're using blunt instruments to to do something really really quite difficult which is to to convince people that the narrative that they've been fed is fundamentally a false one and a misleading one and so i think given those constraints i suspect the campaign is going to be living, driven largely by local issues largely by the fact that paul williams is a gp who oversees 37 GP practices. That is their one, that does seem to be their one kind of um, thing they're really going to go with, doesn't it, for this by-election is, look, COVID's happened, here's an upstanding GP. Who's been treating um, people during yeah. COVID. Like, yeah. Alex, any any parting thoughts? Yeah, I just wanted to just say, I think for me, it's, we don't know what, we might not know for another month. We probably won't know for another month, obviously, end of April, start of May, really how big the vaccine bounce in the poll is it going to be consistently large that's when we're going to get have a find a, a roundabout guess of how many of the seats labor expect to gain or lose or how many of this or I should say how many seats the tories how well the tories expect to do and i'm afraid we're not gonna we, we don't know what frankly where those brexit party votes are going to go to in hartlepool so i'm going to ask you to come off the fence and call the hartlepool election who's going to win it you can't say, oh, I don't know, because obviously none of us know. You have to pick a sign, have to pick a horse. Kieran, who wins it? The centre is dads. <laughs> um, no, uh, I'll go Labour. Alex? Yeah, Labour, narrowly. Yeah, I'm, 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 with, I'm with you, to be honest. Um, so it's a win for the Tories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I can see it, though, can't, can't you? You turn, yeah, on news, yeah, yeah. turn on BBC News 24 and it's like Tories poised to win Hartlepool. And we've all done this where we've watched election night footage and there's people counting ballots in a leisure centre and there's this sense of just dread. And I've got I've got friends who are <laughs> some of my best some of my best friends are Tories, but I've got friends who are conservatives who don't get this. It's not the same live or die kind of mentality that those of us who are or were or whatever Labour supporters, voters, members have. It's not so much of a big deal, really, for Tory voters. Like, oh, it's important, but it's not this sort of existential threat. Whereas when I'm watching people counterbalance and it says, like, you know, Jeremy Corbyn set to lose X many seats, I, I really did think, like, f- like f- hell, like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I didn't like him either, but look at the policies come on and look at who's standing up against him he's a clown and there's this sense of like oh my god what direction is this country going in which is a very dad's thing to say isn't it but i i just think it's such a sh- it's such a shame that this sort of this alternative is becoming weakened and diluted and i really don't know i think it's easy easy job to be a tory strategist at the moment mm. easy job anyway we shall we shall end it there to cease my rambling. So we've been and will continue to be centrist dads. So it's goodbye from me all the way in the European Union. 
it's goodbye from Kieran in Sandbach. Um, uh, oh, adios. <laughs> oh, you struggled with that one, didn't you, Kieran? Do you, do you have right, I was going to go. I was going to go French again, but I was like, no, do something different. I'm going to go French and then you bottled it. And it's goodbye from Alex Najad in Salford. One of not. <laughs> <laughs>